0: Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Jay and Ellie.
1: I'm Lorelai Weiss. I'm Brian Dawes. And I'm Chris Delano.
2: Hi, I'm Django Wexler and I'm joining the cast for today. Woo!
0: <laughs> well, uh, poor Django here just came from an hour-long weekly MTG.
2: It was only a half an hour.
0: Oh, that's not so bad. Okay. Yeah. yeah they they move the time around like i feel for blake because uh, they move the time around because of nap time oh. <laughs> for his baby
2: <laughs> yeah that work at home is rough
0: i've got a four-year-old who is uh has the run of the house
2: <laughs> I, I, i'm sorry Jay. i
3: i would say he's only four what you can just easily overpower him and seize control but i also know how big he is and i sincerely <laughs> doubt you would be able to
2: do so I think it's not overpowering the four-year-old that you worry about so much as the the sound. If you're trying to record a podcast. Oh my god.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No. He. he I don't know. He's big enough to probably overpower my wife if he wanted to. So. Yeah. He's like two-thirds her height now.
3: Oh no. God. The kid's so big.
0: <laughs> I know. He's he's ridiculous. Can be like a Garrick. <laughs> we are here uh with Django, who wrote the most recent magic story uh the sundered bond is there a the
2: in it i think it's just sundered bond it's just sundered bond.
0: sundered bond did you get to pick that title Django? no they
2: picked it. they picked that well one. Okay. i guess they, they ran several by me but that was the one i liked
0: gotcha okay fair enough
3: it's a good one i like it tells you what the story's about
0: we're going to talk to you uh, a little bit about that today, but we also wanted to talk to you in general about like gaming and your writing process and stuff because sure. you're actually you're you're a pretty popular magic author. Everyone was gl- very glad to have you back. Um, so we'll get into some some questions about all that here. But let's talk about gaming. So uh, one thing I know about you is that you're a war gamer.
2: I well yes, sometimes more in theory than in actual practice due to like time commit constraints
0: i think that's true of basically everyone like i have i have more x-wing miniatures behind me than i have ever played oh yeah um, in a game ever i I
3: think that's just (laughs) tabletop gaming as an adult
2: yeah i have i have shelves of painted miniatures for game systems i've never even put on the table
0: so, uh, what tabletop games do you like? What tab- like besides Magic? What tabletop games do you play?
2: I actually don't play Magic in any serious way, which is a little weird because oh, I'm involved okay. in this now. Um, no, I I played Magic back when I was in like high school, but it's been it's been so long since I've really been involved in it. Um, what do I like to do? Um, I mostly play like Euro style board games. Um, okay. So, like, uh, we were really into terraforming Mars for a long time. They come in waves. Like, we get into one thing and then we go on to something else. Um, but then, uh, I've been into, in the past, um, the privateer press games, the war machine and hordes. I have big armies for both of those and I played a lot. Um, that the problem with those in a weird way, I live right near privateer press headquarters and So like the people who play at the local game stores, there's like a thriving scene, but like the, uh, it's all way too serious for me. I'm not like remotely good enough. So like I go in with my little army and just get crushed and that's, you start to, (laughs) that starts to get a little old after a while. Um, I played a lot of X-Wing, um, back, you know, before the Corona times. Um, and I played a little bit of that online, but, um, but yeah, lately it's been all video games. Um, but uh, Oh I've been playing a lot of Gloomhaven Also before the Corona times Ooh. I love that game
0: That's a good game Yeah, yeah um, so good. Brian don't... and Chris are both big D&D fans And Gloomhaven is just like a
2: great Dungeon crawler type I'm a and d fan Yeah I've played a little of Gloomhaven I was a and d player for Years Like I don't know Starting in high school through I don't know, Like 20 years of Of playing tabletop RPGs of all kinds. And it finally just got to the point where, like, as an adult, it was too hard to get people together every week. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And so that's kind of why I switched to board gaming, where it's kind of like, like, it's much easier to say, hey, board gaming at my house, everybody come over. And then, like, if five people show up or ten people show up, it doesn't matter. Whereas, like, trying to get the same four people to turn up for games every week or every two weeks is hard.
3: Here, I I've I, I figured out a trick to making that happen though. Uh you start a podcast with them two years prior <laughs> and then you know they have a night free once a week. Nice. And you wrangle them into your own little DNA Then you make contents. sure you
2: finish the podcast up on time every day.
3: Every uh we've been pretty good about it. We did uh four four sessions on uh Theros and we're gonna I think we're doing three for Akoria in a couple weeks, so that'll be fun
0: yeah uh the one we we have some time to fill now that uh we've got the intermittent ebooks like every quarter or so so uh it was it was a good it's a good way to fill the time but anyway, let's move on to the actual ebook itself. Let's talk about your um your writing process uh w- let's start with like before you uh God, I can't talk tonight so uh how long before? How long before The Sundered Bond came out were you contacted about, like, writing it?
2: Who? Oh, um, it was a while ago because I think we arranged that I was going to be doing it while I was still doing the second half of Gathering Storm, um, which was, like, in the middle of last year. Um, I forget when we actually, like, signed the contracts versus when Nick was just like, hey, let's do this. Um... But uh, but yeah, they they were pretty clear early on, especially um, after the delay for Gathering Storm. They were like, "We want you to do, do something else with us, and it'll you know come out when the set it's supposed to be with comes out." Um, that and uh, you know that that was very nice of them, and uh, and then also Gather, <laughs> Gathering Storm got you know pretty good reviews i guess and they were like happy to have me back um gathering storm was excellent i enjoyed it it very very much i'm glad you guys liked it i had a ton of fun writing it so i'm glad people people found it i was a little worried that you know uh because it was not on the magic website no one would actually find it but that has not been the case
3: yeah i i had words about that release method at the end of last year but uh the the stories were very good they are archived on like the magic wiki we point them to people when we did our episodes about them so hopefully the people all the people who wanted to read them got a chance to read them
2: that would be nice i hope so too i mean they're free so it's it's nice this one we're actually charging for which is like new territory for me but um (laughs) at least in terms of magic but anyway uh but, like, this story, I wrote this last year, so it was done by, like, October. Um, so it's just been a long wait for it to actually come out. <laughs> uh, th- that's
3: the mood. I write uh, names and flavor text for Magic, uh, con- uh-huh. uh, contract hire. So, so I, I wrote for acoria and I, I think I worked on that before you uh, wrote the story even. So, uh, yeah, I, I've been waiting for Akoria for a while. It's a very cool world.
2: When they brought me in, they had a lot of names in flavor text, but not everything. And they had much of the art, but not all of it.
0: So that's a that's a good segue into our next question in terms of scheduling. So obviously, when they brought you on, it was still in the you know creative process for the set. They're finalizing all of that uh what did the schedule for this look like for you but also in terms of you know you don't just write the occasional magic novella you have your own novel series that are coming out on a regular basis how do you fit all that in together are you writing them simultaneously taking a break between each how how does that work
2: i tend to do one thing at a time um i have a very hard time doing more than one thing. But so I I schedule my year basically pretty far in advance um, to try and make sure I always have a project that I'm working on that's useful. Um, And so this was 50,000 words. um, And so for me, that's about a month of of drafting Um, and uh, a little bit uh, before that for like arranging stuff um, and outlining and so on. so I just made sure I had a, you know, a month free to do this between two other novel projects. It actually worked out pretty well given the way the schedule fell out. So I was really happy with that. Um, but yeah, so they bring me in and, you know, give me, you know, into the, the conference room where everything is top secret because apparently everyone wants to spy on them. And, um, <laughs> you know, we looked at the art and and the story that they've, Outlined and then Nick and I sort of chat about what it's um, what it's to be. I think it's Nick and Paul going forward, but it was just Nick for this one.
0: So, what research do you do for uh, these stories? Like, you know, they mentioned they give you that stuff. Do you do other research about characters? Like, how much back reading do you actually do versus looking at wikis and other resources they might give you?
2: Um, For this one, I had to do hardly. Very little, because Vivian has only appeared in a couple of pieces of fiction. Um, One for um, Ixalan, and uh, then some mentions in War of the Spark. Um, And so, you know, I read up on her wiki stuff, and then, you know, wanted to see what those portrayals look like. And then all the other characters are new, and it's a new plane, obviously. Um, So I could mostly just go on the world guide that they sent me. For Ravnica, I did a lot more reading, because there's obviously... You know, a ton of stuff. I don't think I covered it all, but I read a lot of the, both the Bolus arc and then the past Ravnica stuff.
0: Yeah, that's so. The reason I'm asking that is because um, your characterization of these characters, as someone who's coming in uh, as an outside writer, like especially with Rao Zarek in the Gathering Storm, but with Vivian in here as well, the characterizations are really spot on, and I think a lot of people really enjoy that. So, how do you approach characterizing? Characters you didn't create that you're picking up in this shared universe?
2: It can be tough. Um, I was a lot more worried with Ral, both because I know he's a lot of people's favorite character and people, he has a big fandom, but also because he had a lot more fiction in his background. We've seen Vivienne in cards a bunch of times, but we don't really know all that much about her. So I felt like there I had more of an opportunity to just kind of like set down what her character is. Um, Especially with, with Vivienne, um, I don't know if it's Vivian or Vivian, whatever. Um,
0: we don't pronounce things right here.
2: Yeah, so, yeah, <laughs> um, you don't, Jay. We all do I definitely most of the time. Oh, except for Theros, because mm-hmm. none of us are good at
3: Greek phonemes. So
2: <laughs> <laughs> We'll get Mike Cole on here. Um, that's a that's a Twitter joke. Um, anyway. Uh, th- uh, that would be awesome
3: to get Mike Cole on here. If you could Yeah, that I, out, that would he great. Pro- <laughs> he'd probably
2: do it. And call him up. Mike's a great guy. Um, anyway. Uh, sorry. Twitter, Twitter humor aside, uh, what was I talking about? Oh, uh, Vivienne, in character-wise, has gone through this like amazing transition, right? Because she mm-hmm. was like dedicating her life to tracking down and destroying Bolus, and now that's like over. And so, like, you know, I, it was a great time to think about her character and be like, what is this even like? What is she even doing now? Like, what you know, what is her life like as someone who has you know essentially fulfilled her life goal, but now she. Her, you know, her home is still destroyed. She still has to figure out something to do. Um, And so that was that was interesting and sort of writing about her. And there's some bits in the book where she's she's a little uncertain about it. Um, Whereas Raoul was much harder because that he's like sort of right at the culmination of this arc. And so it has to fit in very neatly with everything that came before
3: yeah, it's interesting. So, um, I, in, in addition to working on the sets, I do the, um, voiceover work for MTG Arena, the Magic's oh, digital nice. thing. Um, so, uh, yeah, similar mood on Vivian. I, I wrote her, uh, last year for the core set and then obviously this year for Ikoria. So I've, I've kind of only written her post War the Spark. Um, and, uh, uh, it, it, it it's interesting for me to for for me to hear you say that uh you have a little more trouble when there's more character work. Um, I I tend to prefer when I'm writing characters that I haven't written before that have a lot of existing story because that's that's all material for me to comb through and I like pulling stuff out of that. And, and granted, our, our writing is obviously a, a little different. I'm I'm not writing narratives. I'm doing a lot yeah. of shorter dialogue based stuff. But uh uh sometimes sometimes creating the new stuff is is a little a little a little weird for me it's
2: not that i don't like doing it it's just i feel i mean I, you know i feel a responsibility to be consistent right to the the portrayal that these fans um expect and them I, I i had that problem uh
3: when i started on arena because uh I I ended up being, uh, so the IDW was doing a comic with Chandra and Tybalt at the time, but otherwise Mm -hmm. I was the first person ever to write narrative content for Tybalt. And uh, you know, he, he had been a character for seven years and the community had this idea of like who Tybalt was. Uh, And I'm like, okay, I now have the responsibility of having to make Tybalt the character that the community has always wanted. And that's a lot of pressure, as someone who, like, okay. came out of the community. That can be tricky. Yeah, it, it is it is hard. I, I'm pretty happy where it ended up in, but,
2: you know, I'm... I mean, you guys must deal with this a lot, but there's, like... Yeah. There's... I've seen this in other games where people have invented a sort of fanon characterization of a character. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, like... It may time. not be where the original designers wanted to go, and then there's always this question of like, do you just go with it or with the fanon version, or do you stick with your original version? Then people risk being disappointed. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of problems.
3: Yeah, that that is something I I have to balance a lot, um, especially with returning characters, um, especially like because because of the, the way the writing for Arena works. Um, I tend to have pretty narrow focuses on my scripts, uh, for um, thematic purposes, uh, and because I'm not writing like a whole lot of words, and uh, just fi- figuring out which things to play up in which scripts or at uh, what times are, uh, you know, that that that's a challenge. Like I, I, yeah. I was very worried. Uh, I wrote Chandra last year. She had three planeswalker cards in one set, and she's one of Magic's most popular characters. And I was like. I'm writing a very personal set of scripts for Chandra and I don't know how the community as a whole is going to react to them. And that was very stressful, but people loved those scripts and
2: I'm, I'm, I'm glad that happened. That's great. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very satisfying when you get it right and you feel like people have, right. have really dug
3: well, it. And, and so I, I feel like that's where a lot of the gathering storm, uh, really, uh, hit off well for me. Um, I, I really enjoyed your portrayal of Raoul. Um, especially Ral and Tomek together. Uh, they are, they're wonderful. Thank you for the, the wonderful queer romance in that story. Also Hakara, but uh, as a new character, but
2: like, I, 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 I think more credit for Hakara. Like, yeah, definitely. She was, she was wonderful. The, the Ral and, and Tomek stuff, obviously, you know, I was the one who, who did the depictions, but that was yeah, right. very much part of the brief from uh, Nick and Jeremy that they yeah. wanted the story to be in there. Um, and it was a great story. So yeah, um, where Sakara, I kind of made up because we needed a uh, Rakdos character, yep. and I didn't want a Rakdos character, I wanted more of a kind of lighter character, mm-hmm. who was not quite so, like, a lot of the Rakdos characters so that murder-y. exist are kind of, like, rage-y, um, yeah. and so we needed someone new.
0: Let's, let's, I think we're gonna have time to talk more about The Gathering Storm in a minute, Yeah, but... Let's talk about ikoria specific stuff right now. So, tell us uh, your approach to Luca.
2: Luca was really interesting. Um, I talked about this a little bit on the stream, but um, it, it's a fine line to walk because uh, you need him to both be sympathetic enough to hold the viewers, the readers rather, interest. Because um, so, if he's not sympathetic at the start of the story, if he like, because obviously he ends up. Sorry, are we in spoiler mode? I'm assuming we're in spoiler. mode. It's fine, yeah. If you're
0: listening at this point, spoiler Spoiler alert, alert. but uh,
3: if you're listening to our podcast... We've already done our episode about the novella,
2: so all our listeners Um, will know what happened. So so Luca ends up in a kind of villainous place, um, but if you write him as kind of a jerk from the start, then uh, no one is going to care about what happens to him and people will stop reading the story. But at the same time, you don't want his... um, his turn to feel unjustified. Um, and so that makes it a really interesting line to walk, because you have this character who you, the author, know from the beginning is going to turn out to be the, the villain of the piece. But uh, at the same time, you want people to be sympathetic to him, but not so sympathetic that when he turns out to be the villain, they hate you and throw the book out through yeah it it was really
3: interesting watching the community because um you know this is an intersection where you know your schedule and my schedule on the the various projects i was on were were different and things kind of happened at different times and you know a lot of different hands are working with uh not specifically the novella but like the greater story of the set uh because uh luca's a more of a nice guy at the beginning in the set um Yes. yes and and you know, you know, we we knew we knew he was going to go to the villain place. Uh, but uh, the way I described it is in, in the set, it's kind of more of a good guy to bad guy shift. In the novella, it's kind of like a eh guy to a bad guy. Um, yeah. And like, and then by the time I got writing him for Arena, you know, I, I'm writing him as the Planeswalker. You know, at the end of the novel, uh, uh, I I wrote villain Luca because I'm like, there's no way people are coming out of this liking this guy he's a jerk um and uh yeah it's very interesting I, I i really enjoyed uh looking at the ways that you kind of foreshadowed foreshadowed the villainy um i i like the interactions with the cat um and the bonding and, and luca not really getting it uh i thought it was a great foil to vivian in a lot of those moments also um, yes, I think them, them playing off each other is something I kind of had picked up in for, uh, my arena scripts and, uh, nice. it was neat to see you kind of, kind of pick up on some of that as well. Um, yeah, I, but... I, 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 I just like getting to work with the same characters that other authors do and getting to see,
2: you know, what we do the same, what we do differently. It's, it's obviously very complicated. Like, you know, there are so many moving parts to one of these sets and so many of them have a much longer lead time than the stuff that I work with. Because if you think about, like, I was writing this back in like October or November, and even at that point, most of the art for the set is already done, um, and so the 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 amount of like different pieces that come together to make this work is astonishing, um, and so you know sometimes not everything lines up exactly perfectly. <laughs> yeah, uh, Alexi. So so you were probably you were working
3: on the book about the time i was working on arena yeah
1: it's uh it's real interesting with luca's characterization because also the progression at which they reveal parts of the story to the community also creates its own little narrative and so we had art for luca and some like of the early luca flavor text that was revealed to us very early in the preview season of the set coming out and a lot of people thought oh luca's the good guy yeah he like has this best friend cat and he clearly is just, like, a fun tiger person. And then cards started getting revealed and revealed. And, like, then we saw the card with him weaponizing the monsters. And everyone was like, oh, are we the baddies?
2: <laughs> I can't believe they killed off the cat. Like, they, when Nick was telling me the story, I'm like, Really? Like, I, and I'm like, okay, I guess that's what we're doing.
1: That, there are some that, people in the community who will really appreciate the fact that you are on Team Cat. That, oh, God, that. I'm <laughs>
2: such a cat person. So, like, obviously I'm on Team Cat. But, like, you know, that's the story's got to be what it's got to be. And, and, and I was like, can we change that? And look, Nick's like, oh, no, there's some artist who's been drawing this picture <laughs> oh, for, wow. for six uh, months Yeah, now it's, it's a thought, traditional wow. piece.
3: Um, I don't remember at the moment...
0: Ryan, it's Ryan Pancos. Oh, Ryan yeah. yes.
3: Um, no, like, the piece is so good, but it's like, it's, it, you know, this, if this story was a movie, this is the the dog dies scene. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, you know, what, once I knew about it, I was like, oh, no, I don't like that we're on Monster World and we have a, the monster dies scene. Um, and then I, when we got our preview cards uh, for preview season, I was like, oh, I really hope we didn't get the dog dies card. Because uh, I will not be able to handle that episode. <laughs>
2: Um, poor Lord Someone Royce. should You guys should rename that card "Old Yeller." Oh, oh. <laughs>
0: so let's let's unless anyone has anything more to say about Luca, we'll move on to the next. No, character. I
2: hate that guy. Go for it. Do that guy. <laughs>
0: so uh, let's talk about Vivian. Mm-hmm. Um okay, she's better. So she's she's another character that in the past has had kind of that wild, that divergent. Her her flavor text was one thing. And her old story was much, much darker in tone. Um, and a lot of people weren't sure exactly where she would land for this. And I think you kind of balanced that well. You mentioned earlier, you know, this is her post bolus life. So we're kind of aligning the two versions of her. Can you talk a little bit about where Vivian is and, and how you got there, how you approached that?
2: Well, I thought of her... I felt like she might have kind of softened a little bit just because you know she she's done the bolus thing right and so like this you know she's always been driven by this anger at bolus for what he did to her home plane and now that's like over with um and so having to learn to live like that is uh is an interesting trick um but obviously she wants to sort of go on helping people because that's just kind of the person she is but um you know, the the way I wrote it is something like that she would have thought a little bit more about that because it's a more complicated thing now than I'm just going to get that guy because he's bad because he destroyed my home plane. That she actually has to make a somewhat more complicated ethical judgment, like coming into a new plane, like who do I help, right? Who are the good guys here and who are the bad guys? Not just like, okay, whatever team Bolus is on, I'm on the other team.
0: I think... One of the things you put in there that I really appreciated is uh, Vivian and Luca with that nightmare that mm-hmm. they end up fighting. That really kind of uh, helps Vivian's philosophy because I think a lot of people uh, are a little bit confused by her because she's either, you know, rah, rah, you know, animals are great. All the humans can go die for all I care. Mm-hmm. And then other people were confused. Wait, why is she coming to the defense of Drannith? And that kind of middle ground you approached there, I think was the perfect characterization scene. Yeah. Can I, you talk a little bit about
2: that? Well, because we talked about it and I'm like, you know, at one point I, I think I said, you know, if she's all nature driven, shouldn't she be on the other side? Um, And, I, and the characterization we, characterization we ended up going with was something like, like it's not so much that she's like for animals and against people, um, but that she's for sort of nature, which obviously includes both. Um and I think specifically, at least the way I, I did it, is that she's against sort of extra planar interference, right? Because it, it echoes what bolus did to her homeworld. Mm-hmm. Um and so when our mysterious villain is interfering with the Ozolith, that kind of like triggers her to be like, okay, this is something I should deal with. Whereas, like, if it was just Dranith versus the monsters, she probably wouldn't take a side at all because that's just kind of the ecology of this plane. That's what is supposed to be happening.
3: Yeah, I I think um, a word that kind of ties together her viewpoint is uh, a striving for harmony. Uh, mm. She's she's not so like, especially the way I wrote her. I I don't think she. I don't think she likes a lot of the ways that people, in general, approach nature. Um, But that also doesn't mean she wants to, like, tear down the walls of every civilization and raise it to the ground. Obviously, she did that in the previous story because those were literally vampires reanimating dinosaurs to vivisect them for entertainment. That's very clearly villains. Um, (laughs) But, uh, and... Yeah, I, I like the idea that she's softened. Um, for me, the idea that she's now, like, worked with people and, like, maybe yeah. kind of has friends now, which is something she wouldn't have had before. Um, it kind of shifts yeah. her ideas about we,
2: stuff. We have so many characters in War of the Spark that we don't actually get to see all that much of Vivian. But, like, you yep. know, you can sort of imagine that sort of happening during that time frame if we would had more, you know, if she'd been a main character um, we probably would have seen some of that. Yeah, she fun.
3: she she sticks around to help. You um, know, in, in a short scene in Forsaken, and uh, I I really like the moments in this book. Read uh, Forsaken. Where, okay, uh, where she where she um, she mentions Narset. Um, yeah, it's very nice.
1: You would think she would find some camaraderie with other planeswalkers who have also had their planes ruined by Nicol Bolas's interference. <laughs> yeah. And I think Narset qualifies. So many
0: so uh since we're talking about narset let's talk real quick about the narset cameo mm-hmm. first of all can you confirm that that was narset in Sky Sail?
2: yes um okay we wanted a we wanted a cameo and there's a mention of her name later um it it's it's tricky because there's just only so much room in a story right mm-hmm. you know this is a fifty thousand word novella and so the number of characters that we can really give a reasonable characterization to is pretty limited. Um, and between Vivian and Jirana and Luca and the bonders, uh, it felt like we didn't really have a place to add another planeswalker to this story and do justice to them. Um, and so I ended up kind of restricting it to a cameo. Um, you know Narset is doing her own thing on this plane which you know maybe someday we'll find out about or not
3: the the way i kind of approached it when i was when i was working both on the set and, and in an arena is, is like like luca obviously has a reason to be in the story uh, and vivian very clearly does Narset's connection to this plane is kind of tentative um you know as some of the r&d people talked about you know the reason she's in the set is that she fit the way the colors were working
2: mm-hmm. and
3: she she like she's not she wasn't put into the set for a narrative reason, she was put in for a color reason, you know, and then you can build a little bit of narrative later, but like she she's I I think a lot more out of place on Ikoria than Vivian
2: is. Well, and I mean I think you could do that story. I mean, one of the nice things about like sure. an Icoria story as opposed to like like it would be hard in at the end of the bolus thing for like something else to be happening in Ravnica that was not related to bolus, because like Obviously, this is the sort of all-encompassing invasion and destruction of everything. But Mm -hmm. like, with Ikoria being a a sort of more, I don't want to say low-key, because obviously it's pretty high stakes what's happening there. But like,
3: It's a smaller story, though.
2: Right. You know, it doesn't involve the whole world. There's a whole city we didn't even get to see. Um, And so, you know, you can imagine Narset is having a different adventure of some kind.
1: She was buying used books.
2: Yeah, <laughs> apparently, which implies
1: that used books are a thing on this plane, which also implies that new books are a separate category, which
0: makes me think that there's a printing press, but that's a different story. <laughs> so, side note, I I, I have a, a a random question for you, Django, because honestly, it. I don't even remember if this is, might have been um one of my notes at all. Like, I don't even remember what notes I I gave anymore. Um. So were you aware that Narset was part of something called like the story circle when you had her like buying books?
2: No, I had I've never been heard. I've let, literally never heard of that.
0: So it's a small group that's like the Moonfolk, folk planeswalker, Tamio and like Narset and Johnny. Uh, and it's just like a little it, we don't have any much description for it, except they know each other and they call themselves like the story circle very informatively. In, I'm sorry, very <laughs> informally. <laughs> so I was just curious because um that that characterization is just perfect. Like Narset buying random books on a plane.
1: Well, that's what she would do.
2: I, I mean I I think I just was like, you know, what you know, what is Narset here for? And they're like, Well, she's always seeking after knowledge, so that seems sort of obvious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, it, it it was perfect. It's yeah. perfect. So
0: let's move on to who, in my opinion, was the standout character yeah. of the book which is, uh, Mm Jarena. And, you know, obviously she, you had a lot of room to mold her. Yes. Um, so first, just, just to set the groundwork, um, her card, did that exist? Like, was it a Jarena Kudro card when you were first, uh, writing her?
2: There, yes. Um, okay. At the, I don't know if the mechanics existed, but they, there was a card with a picture of her. Um, gotcha. That's what okay. they show me. Um, Kudro existed and Jirina existed. Um, we knew that she was Luca's fiance and Kudro's daughter, but she played a much more minor role. If I'm remembering the sort of development of the of the story originally, um, like I don't think she went out after uh, Luca. Um, and basically, I, I felt like we needed another point of view character to. Be more sympathetic, um, especially in the second half of the story, uh, and so we we upped Jirina's involvement in the story, um, which is also nice because like then it's then it's not all focused on the planeswalkers because otherwise mm-hmm. it'd just be Vivian and Luca, um, so uh, so that was nice because they get me gave me a lot of chances to sort of make her character work
1: it was nice to have a real hero from drannith as well yes. because most of the drannith characters we see uh are either really cool and then die immediately yes uh, <laughs> or they're kind of awful because we have kudro luca and yeah. the only other brid yeah that's a, yeah. some
2: jerk military guy he's just yeah he's just no, awful it's true right like we want you know they're like a repressive military dictatorship, but also they do defend the city from horrible monsters. Like that's not an imaginary threat. The monsters are coming to eat people. So like, you know, there's, there's some heroism there. Um,
0: so real quick about, about, uh, So you had added in like livestock and things like that. And even had a comment, I believe from Vivian about how there are too many predators on this plane. Do you want to talk about that for a second? That's just
2: like a side note that like, I don't know, like, the ecology of of these worlds never makes any sense, and this is not specifically <laughs> about magic, it's as true of, like, Dungeons and Dragons or any big fantasy world as anything else. Oh, like, but, it, like literally all the Star Wars
3: movies. There, why, why is there always a bigger fish? That's not sustainable.
2: There, there's, there's always too many giant predators, and, like <laughs> like, in any given world, right? Like... You know, you if you look at real life, you can't support that many like tigers in it on, on even like a really rich ecology. And so, like if you're talking about animals the size of buildings, um, <laughs> then like you can't. It doesn't work. Um, that, but that that line gave
1: me so many like chuckles when I when I thought about it and reread it, and then it
2: was it was great. But the answer, of course, is that it's magic, right? Like, of course, um, of course, there's crystals and it makes everything grow giant. Uh, and presumably sustains them as well. I don't think I ever got an answer to the question of whether the the monsters, like, actually reproduce, like, normal animals, or if they're all unique. I think there are species of monsters.
0: Um, there are clades and then occasionally species, yeah. Because we see artwork of, like, baby versions of yeah, adult there, monsters.
2: Yeah, there are lots of baby monsters in this set. So that implies that they they reproduce normally, but, like... Um, well quote-unquote normally well yeah <laughs> but but that there needs to be more than one of them i don't know the apex monsters are all unique so yes. they clearly yes. arise by magical means I don't know. it's not worth thinking about too hard i had the same problem on ravnica i'm like where does the food come from
3: see i work on the sets so this is exactly the kind of stuff i think about too hard
0: yep. Yeah well it's always funny when i'm like trying to to answer these questions it's like yes this stupid thing is indeed something that we need to be firm on but yes you're right none of this actually works (laughs) it would never work in the real world okay so chris i'm gonna let you ask your question django i want you to know i had nothing to do with this
1: (laughs) so Speaking of taking things and going too deep in them, I have that problem. <laughs> Hence the the okay. comment about a printing press existing on this plane. Because if there's used books, you know, yeah. all of that.
2: I mean, Dranith seems pretty advanced.
1: A very memorable moment in the novel happens uh, when Jorina relieves herself in a field. Okay. Which makes me wonder if that seems so unusual to her. That must mean, and it seems like they have indoor plumbing in Dranith.
2: I assume which so. makes me, I,
1: I'm assuming they have indoor plumbing, which makes me wonder: Does Jarena prefer the field, or would she rather use the indoor plumbing?
2: I mean, I don't want to speculate about her personal habits, but probably, <laughs> I mean, most, norm, most like normal people would prefer indoor plumbing, at least if it's running. But water. you have to
1: think the indoor plumbing in Dranith must be terrifying because it has to drain off somewhere, which means there's an outlet to the plumbing, which also means there's an inlet. For any sort of monster that swims up pipes.
2: I, I assume it's like heavily guarded because there's probably a ton of sewer monsters or whatever. You don't want any like <laughs> snakes getting in your plumbing and biting people.
1: Because by the time the snake comes out of that plumbing, it could be a snake bird elemental. Yeah. You don't want to <laughs> deal with that you in your bathroom. Deal that. No. That's true. Yeah. I I just imagine it has to be like a terrifying process to use well, the, the plumbing. The other two it. cities. They've got the
2: crystals. It's yeah. fine. The other two cities have an easier time, right? Because in, in Lava Brink, they can just dump all the waste into the lava. So that's not a problem. And then in Skycell they just dump it on whoever happens to be oh, below God. them. <laughs> oh, oh, <God. laughs> like, oh, God, look out. Like, like whoever the, part farmer, of measures. the farmers under the Flying City are just like, oh, God, hide. <laughs> I'm just imagining when you flush
1: when you flush in Lava Brink, it doesn't actually go into any pipes. It just opens up a trap door to a bunch of lava. And so every time you flush, a big puff of smoke comes
3: out. <laughs> I, I I have thought... So, disclosure, There's Lava Lava Brink is one of my favorite places magic has ever made in the entire multiverse. Um, and I have thought so much about what it's like to live there. So oh,
1: I've been thinking a lot about Lava Brink lately, because we might be going on an adventure
0: in Lava Brink. Nice. So, uh we're talking in general about the Aquaria world building. What aspects of aquaria most appealed to you?
2: Um, I love monsters. I mean, that's what it comes Hell down to. Yeah. Not even necessarily just giant monsters, but I love making up weird creatures in, like, strange shapes. Like, if you read my other books, like um, Chip of Smoke and Steel or Forbidden Library, there's, like, just endless weird stuff that I came up with. Um, and so getting to do that is just, like, a ton of fun. Um, and so that's that was definitely the biggest appeal about aquaria, Um, was that It's just, like, you know, we need, like, all these different monsters for the Bonders and for them to fight and all these other things, you know. So that was a lot of fun.
0: Is there any bit of world building that you'd wished you'd been able to get into the book?
2: Not really? Um, I'm trying to remember. Nah, nothing I can think of. Um, There's a little bit more about, like, how the Coppercoats military organization works that we cut because it was boring, but... (laughs) <laughs> um, like, I thought about, you know, what their ranks are and blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, yeah, nobody cares. That's not that important. Um, but, like, uh, no, I'm pretty happy. I think we got all the stuff that I was really excited about got in there.
3: Uh, I, I will say, you say uh, nobody cares, but I guarantee you there are people who care. I'm sure somebody care.
0: cares. <laughs> right. There are exactly four people talking to you right now no, that I are don't. the sum total of the people who would care.
3: <laughs> it's it's not the thing that I would care the most about about Ikoria, but there are things in Magic that I absolutely care about at that kind of
2: detail level. No, it's, it's funny. The people who ask questions like that, it's almost always for like D&D. Right, like people were writing role-playing games. I had a bunch oh, of people yeah. ask me Ravnica questions for role-playing games. Um, and my answer is almost always, like, I don't know, just make it up. Because, like, it's not like I have a giant binder of things that didn't go into the story. Yeah, the, the, the good news is Jay will not come to
3: your house and uh, set set your gaming table on fire if you put non-canon information into your d d game. Exactly.
0: I will. I, I totally will. Django can attest that I'm always apologizing. Like, listen, I'm sorry, but they're paying me to be pedantic about yeah. all of this.
2: Are you a professional pedant? Could you put that on a business card?
0: <laughs> I think Jay's been able to do that for a long time. When when they hired me, they were just like, yeah, we want you to complain about the things you would complain about to everyone you know on the internet, to us, before it gets out.
2: Yeah, that's so a good that's, position. That's what I do. More companies should do that.
0: Um, it's fun. Uh, All right, so that was it for the Ikoria-specific questions. Who is your favorite character that you've written in Magic?
2: In Magic? Um, I tend to go with Ral Zarek, just because, like, both, you know, that was the main character of Gathering Storm, so I've spent a ton of time with him, but he's also kind of like a tinkering engineering nerd, which is very much what I am. Um, So uh, I I definitely sympathize with... um, is it and that whole mindset.
0: Uh yeah, I I have to say that really came through in Gathering Storm uh where everything you wrote about the is it was just perfectly on point. Um I think my favorite thing you did is have like every invention having been meant, meant yes. for something else. <laughs> <laughs> so and then,
2: coming up with with plausible ones is so much fun. You know, <laughs> I I was
1: also watching the the day, the weekly magic broadcast earlier. Um and I definitely recommend everyone listening go watch it it's very 30 minutes it's great. Well link you to mentioned it. at one point um that you if you could be a planeswalker the two that came to your mind were Raul Eric and then another one Sahili who's another blue red sort of tinkerer or planeswalker and I thought that was um really interesting Sahili is such a another unexplored character who doesn't have a lot of magic fiction around oh. her
3: Oh Watley's been exploring her I hope. Oh,
1: God. Uh, what? I'm I'm here for Team Dinobots too. It's okay. yeah.
2: I I want uh, the Healy to come here. I have just been. I knew her only through the Kaladesh stuff, which I had read as part of my my uh, research, and I was like, but you know, any kind of weird artificer tinkerer definitely is uh, up my alley.
3: Kaladesh has a few of those.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> just a couple. Just a couple. Uh, gathering storm questions do we have any gathering storm questions that we didn't bring up or Django is there anything you want to share about the gathering storm that I don't know <laughs> maybe you haven't gotten the chance to
2: um, yeah, no i mean any, any questions I'm happy to answer questions but um I've talked about it a fair bit at this stage i don't
3: I don't have any questions but uh one of the things i enjoyed most about it um so uh you know you know our, our three main poV characters for that were Ryle, braska and kaya and uh, a thing you did that I absolutely loved is um, not not just the dialogue and the tone of each of those different POV sections match the characters, but uh, even even the way you write exposition um, shifted depending on whose POV it was. Uh, and, and that was something thats like very small, and most people will probably not notice um, that, that I thought uh, really brought each of those characters to life a lot more. And um, just something I I extremely enjoyed about those
2: stories. The goal is always that if you are in a multi POV story, you should be able to tell whose POV you're in without having any names mentioned. Mm -hmm. Um, It turns out that's incredibly hard to achieve in practice, (laughs) Uh, but it's always like the ideal, right? Is that your voices would be so distinct that you can just tell who's thinking. Um, and so it's it's something I strive for, um, but it's tricky. I'd love to go to do more with Kaya. I feel like she got a little bit of short trip. Yes, I love.
3: She is a character I have not written yet, and and she is near the top of of the list of characters I would like to write because you know she she is like she is badass, but she's uh, snarky and and she's got a good heart, but is like. Kind of in the shadows as this assassin, and now she's got this whole thing tied up with being the uh, technical guild master of Orshav Still,
2: in some ways, that bit there's some bits of of sort of logical continuity in there around Kaya that I'm proud slash horrified by because, like, <laughs> like. It's a little convoluted how she becomes guildmaster, but I feel like it's it works. It's so good. It's so um,
3: it's perfect. It's like yes. it's like exactly like the weird machinations of yeah. all these different oligarchs within the Orzhov. Um it is it's really so so like uh Ravnica at this point was um kind of tonally uh focused mostly on kind of a noir aesthetic and this felt like noir backstabbing mm-hmm. between a bunch of people who some have kind of-ish good intentions, but most of them are either morally gray or pretty bad, and then you have poor innocent Tomic in the middle, except he's smarter than you know, and it's like, the...
2: Ah, it was so good. It was so fun. I was proud of that just because I, f- I came up with a lot of it, because, like, like, Ravnica was a little more tightly outlined than Acoria, than but, like, we got the the sort of sheet, the beats, and, like, one of them was like, and then Kaya kills the the Ghost Council and becomes Guildmaster of of uh, Orzhov, and I was like, what? <laughs> like, how does that happen? Like, <laughs> like, why would she want that? And why would they allow it? And like, Nick and I were like, yeah, and so we sat together, like, trying to come up with a way to make this work because we had to make it work because it's in the cards. Um, uh, and so we're, we're like trying to figure out like a scenario where, where this works. Cause it's a little weird. This is another one of those like nitpicky world building things. Right. But like mm-hmm. the planeswalkers can't really accumulate material wealth if they're moving from plane to plane a lot, um, because they can't take like houses and stuff with them. Yes. And so if you're a mercenary planeswalker, what are you fighting for? Right? Do you even have the same currency <laughs> on different planes? Is gold valuable everywhere? Like it's, it's like nope. it's one of those things where you're like, like you're a mercenary. What? Why? Um, and so, <laughs> like, we had to think about that a little harder.
3: Yeah, it's cool. Oh, uh, something that didn't come to mind early, but did just come to mind. Uh, so uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the RPG Blades in the Dark. Mm-hmm. Um. So uh, one of my partners, uh, you know, you know. Found, found the Blades world building um pretty pretty similar uh themed to Ravnica's and uh wanted to build a campaign for Blades in the Dark set on Ravnica, uh, so we cool. we are, you know th- th- this is uh, um you know adults trying to play RPGs and having a difficult time with that. Uh, we yeah. we <laughs> will hopefully start soon, but uh it's it, we're actually setting it in uh Tovna, um, nice. Because, uh, you know, all, all the stuff with Raoul's backstory, like, already established, uh, you know, th- there's kind of gang presences, there's some seediness, there's there's rich people, there's poor people. Um, and and it's, like, far enough away from from uh, the the, um, the center of Ravnica, the city center, uh, that we can kind of have a lot more freedom. Um, so, I just remembered we were doing that. And so That was another it, thing
2: Nick and I went back and forth on, because we I was like, well, you know, Raoul isn't from district 10 or so he's like from you know the country and nick's like this is ravnica there is no country and i was like oh (laughs) we gotta come up with something else
3: (laughs) i really like that because we did like we don't get a lot of ravnica outside of the 10th district so i really liked being able to see kind of what smaller non-guild life was elsewhere um and uh yeah i just wanted to let you know that like we we are taking you know you know they my partner's read over you know, and reread all those sections from Gathering Storm and has pulled up pulled out a lot of information.
2: I'm excited to see where that goes.
0: This has been this has been really good. Let's wrap up talking about um Django's other fiction real quick. Oh good. So if yeah, I know I give you the opportunity to plug. Um so if someone was a fan of Sundered Bond or the Gathering Storm, what are stories you have that might be similar in tone or with similar kinds of characters that might they might enjoy of yours to pick up?
2: Um Okay, so I have a YA series called um, The Wells of Sorcery, which starts with Ship of Smoke and Steel. Um, and that is the first two books are out. Um, the third book comes out in January. And I think of it as pretty similar to the magic stories in both tone and kind of the feel of the magic system it's a it's a magic system with a lot of intrinsic magic so people have closer to superpowers than kind of tolkien-esque magic um our main character has sort of like psylocke style arm blades and magic armor um and uh the story is basically about how she gets forced to go on board this mysterious ghost ship and try to gradually take it over um And uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of, like, if you like the, like, parts of Ikoria or Ravnica that are, like, magic duels between wizards and magic people fighting giant monsters. It has a lot of that. Um, And so those books are Ship of Smoke and Steel, and the second one is City of Stone and Silence, and the third one will be out in January. Um, And then I have an epic fantasy series starting in July. I think the first one is Ashes of the Sun, and it comes out July 21st. And that is um, a sort of bigger epic fantasy story um, about two siblings who... um, One of them is recruited to work for the sort of order of mages that helps maintain civilization, and the other one uh, taking exception to the fact that his... Sister is basically kidnapped and dragooned into being a an order mage, uh, becomes a rebel, and sort of goes looking in dungeons for forbidden magic, and then they come back into conflict. Um, and that's uh, that's a lot of fun. I'm just about to start the second book in that series, start writing it, um, and I'm really excited to show people the first one. It's, it feels like I finished it like a year and a half ago, and it feels like a, 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 <laughs>
3: So, uh, we have a question from our live listeners. Uh, are these books on audible?
2: Yes. Um, all my books should be on audible. Uh, ashes of the sun is not on audible is not out yet, but it will be, um, when it, uh, comes out. Um, uh, ship of smoke and steel is for sure on audible. Um, my other two series are on audible. Um, if you're more into the military stuff in Dranith, uh, I have a Napoleonic fantasy series uh, that starts with the The Thousand Names, um, and that's uh, sort of muskets and magic and cannons and cavalry charges, uh, roughly based on the Napoleonic Wars. Um, and that, those are all audiobooks as well.
0: What I'll say about those is, if you liked Jarina, I think there are some very strong characters yeah. in, the, in in those series that very much emulate that voice.
2: Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, and if you like the whole, like, you know, military types up against supernatural monsters and maybe not being able to trust their superiors, there's a lot of that.
0: Yeah, what I will say is it took me an embarrassingly long time to realize they were based on
2: the Napoleonic Wars. And yeah. when
0: when certain events happen,
2: I'm like, oh, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's not that... it. My original plan for those books were was for them to be based very closely on the Napoleonic Wars, but ultimately the plot is only vaguely it's more just like the era, so like what sort of mm-hmm. technology is available. Um is ultimately where I went with that. That's a long that's probably So day last
0: sure. question here before we wrap up. Um wait, did you get to all your series? I'm sorry.
2: Yes. I have one more okay. that's a middle grade, but that's probably not the the one that your listeners are interested in.
0: So, if you could have a magic set made about one of your non-magic books, which one would it be?
2: Well, now I might have to talk about my middle grade series. Um, My middle grade series (laughs) is about a, a girl who learns that she is a, they call it a reader, which it means that she's able to activate magical books. And the way the magical books work is that many of them imprison magical creatures, and so you read the book and are sucked inside it and have to fight the creature. And once you have defeated it, you can call on its powers like Pokemon. Nice. Um, <laughs> and so uh, she, you know, uh, gets... she Her father disappears and she ends up with her creepy uncle and he turns out to be a wizard and he shows her how to do all this stuff. And then through the books, the the central question is like, this isn't really a super ethical thing to be doing of enslaving magical <laughs> creatures to be your, your slaves. Um, and, uh, her coming to terms with the fact that like, Oh, we are the baddies here. Um, <laughs> it, and that would be a lot of fun. There's just a, like, there's a ton of fun monsters and settings in there. That would be, that would be great for, uh, for
0: you know that, um, that is actually like an ethical question. Magic struggled with very early on yeah in that, like, the summons were actually enslaved people you were yeah. pulling from their homes against their will.
2: Well, I remember that the really early magic novels talked about that, um, about, you know, summons turning up and it being like the some poor dude who like didn't know what he was doing. <laughs> yeah, the this the
3: the a lot of the early Harper Prisoners. Jay, why did you say that? Don't make me go off on a rant about how fun distant Plains is again.
0: <laughs> well also turn it into a segue for our Patreon plug.
3: Um <laughs> Here's your challenge, Orlai.
1: Turn early magic fiction into a segue for <laughs> our segue challenge of the week.
3: I know. I I don't want to do a segue challenge. I'm just going to go into the plug. You can't make me do it. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, we, you know, as Jay mentioned, uh, we have a Patreon. You can head over to patreon.com slash cast and support us today. All your donations help us keep producing the show week after week, and in uh, you know, as as uh, support back for for everyone, uh, we have a online Discord community with Forthuses from around the world. So all you have to do is donate on Patreon, you can get in on that. You know, we're all still talking about Ikoria. uh, You know, a bunch of us are still playing Animal Crossing. Uh, we have this thing going on right now where uh, everyone is just making baked ziti, and it <laughs> all looks so good. We created a whole food channel just to contain the discussion about baked ziti. Uh, and it's it's been really great. Um, and it's made me so, so, so hungry. I, I'm going to break <laughs> into all your houses and take your leftovers. Um, and I... Yes, that's not a good reason to join the Discord <laughs> uh, if you don't want me to break near your house. I'm not actually going to do that, but uh, every, everyone's been having a good time. You know, you know we're kind of stuck in our houses in quarantine, and, and it's uh, great having that kind of online community. And uh, every, everyone's wonderful. The fans are great, and uh, we love having y'all here. Thank you all for listening. This has been the Vorthos Cast.